Trigger warning. The following podcast may contain sensitive material. Sexual violence, sexual assault, and abuse are among the topics mentioned on Dear Me, You Survived. Please keep your mental health in mind before listening and know there are resources out there to help you cope. Hello, my trauma tribe. I decided to record again today after a very long time. Um, I just haven't been in a very good headspace, but here I am. Um, I'm not as comfortable as I usually am because let me start off by telling you this traumatic story of mine. You might find it hilarious. I was in my garage and I was feeding my dogs And there was a toolbox on the floor that I did not see. I tripped on it, attempted to catch myself with um, no luck in catching myself. And I fell completely into my recording studio, completely shattered my cheap little desk that I had for myself, Um, my little enclosure broke into pieces. I was able to put that put that back together, but my desk is a goner, unfortunately. So I'm going to do the best that I can with my low comfort, but it's all good. I'm a little lady. We have a soccer tournament this weekend for my son, and I'm a full-blown soccer mom. And... I volunteered for a lot, a lot of hours today, followed by a very intense game, and mama needed a beer, so I'm on my fourth beer, and I'm a lightweight, but anyways, okay, so I came across this news article entitled, Arizona Court Upholds Clergy Privilege in Child Abuse Case. It's by Michael Resendez and Jason Deeren. It was published April 11, 2023. So you guys might have already heard about it. Um, I haven't. It's very new to me. And I'm just going to read it for you. I'll try to read it kind of quick because it is a little bit long. Okay, so it says, The Arizona Supreme Court has ruled that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints can refuse to answer questions or turn over documents under a state law that exempts religious officials from having to report child sex abuse if they learn of the crime during a confessional setting. The ruling was issued April 7th, but not released to the public until Tuesday. A lawsuit filed by child sex abuse victims accused the church, widely known as the Mormon Church, two of its bishops, and other church members of conspiracy and negligence in not reporting church member Paul Adams for abusing his older daughter as early as 2010. This negligence, the lawsuit argues, allowed Adams to continue abusing the girl for as many as seven years, a time in which he also abused the girl's infant sister. Lynn Cadigan, an attorney for the Adams children who filed the lawsuit, 
criticized the court's ruling. Unfortunately, this ruling expands the clergy privilege beyond what the legislature intended by allowing churches to conceal crimes against children, she said. In a statement, the church concurred with the court's action. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints agrees with the Arizona Supreme Court's decision, the statement said. We are deeply saddened by the abuse these children suffered. The church has no tolerance of, of abuse of any kind. Adams had also posted videos of, him as, of himself sexually, sexually, oh my God, I'm so sorry, sexually abusing his daughters on the internet, boasted of the abuse on social media, and confessed to federal law enforcement agents who arrested him in 2017 with no help from the church. Those actions prompted Cochise County Superior Court Judge Laura Cardinal to rule on August 8, 2022, that Adams had waived his right to keep his 2010 confession to Bishop John Herod secret. Taken together, Adams' overt acts demonstrate a lack of repentance and a profound disregard for the principles of the church. Cardinal said in her ruling, his acts can only be characterized as a waiver of the clergy penitent privilege. I hope I said that right. Clergy in Arizona, as in many other states, are required to report information about child sexual abuse or neglect to law enforcement or child welfare authorities. An exception to the law, known as the clergy penitent privilege, also oh, I'm sorry, allows members of the clergy who learn of the abuse through spiritual confessions to keep the information secret. The church has based its defense in the lawsuit on the privilege, asserting that Herod and a second bishop who learned of Adam's confession, Robert Kim Mozzie, had no legal obligation to report him for abusing his older daughter and appealed Cardinal's ruling. On December 15th, the Arizona Court of Appeals ruled in favor of the church, saying it did not have to turn over disciplinary records for Adams, who was excommunicated in 2013. The appeals court also ruled that a church official who attended a church disciplinary hearing could refuse to answer questions from the plaintiff's attorney during pretrial testimony based on the clergy penitent privilege. Lawyers representing the Adams girl, girls and one of their brothers took the case to the Arizona Supreme Court where they did not prevail, according to the April ruling. In an, in an unusual move, Cadigan said attorneys for the three Adams children intend to file a motion asking the Supreme Court to reconsider its ruling. An Associated Press investigation of the clergy privilege shows it exists in 33 states and that the Mormon Church, often joined by the Catholic Church, Jehovah's Witnesses, and other faiths have successfully lobbied against attempts to reform or eliminate it. So that is the article that I read um, and is basically saying that we continue to have a law stating that if child abuse is confessed in a confessional setting, that church officials have no obligation to report that abuse to child welfare, to the police. It basically stays within the church, and the church gets to decide what to do with that information. I think that that is absurd. I've never, I don't think I've ever heard of the Paul Adams case. I don't know if you guys have, but that is the case that we're going to be talking about today, and it is very sad. There's a lot of very sad details. There's a lot of very 
graphic and intense details. Um, I will mention them just a little bit. So if that might be too much for you, maybe skip this episode. Um, or, you know, just listen with caution. Fast forward 10 seconds when it starts to get uncomfortable. And go back later if you can. But, you know, just keep in mind your mental health. The Adams family is not the Adams family that we think of when we hear that name. They were a family that lived off of a dirt road about eight miles from the center of Bisbee, Arizona. Bisbee, Arizona is known for its antique shops and its laid-back attitude. The house that they lived in was a three-bedroom, open-concept home surrounded by the desert. Um, They were known to be very involved with the church. Liza, the wife, she took on most of the child-rearing responsibilities, such as getting the kids to school, chauffeuring them to church, and religious instruction. Um, Paul was the moneymaker. He spent a lot of time online watching porn, and a lot of the times his children were also in the room watching what he was watching. Um, A lot of times he wandered his house either naked or only in underwear. The house that they lived in was littered with piles of clothing and containers of lubricant that he used to sexually abuse his children. They had six children all together. Shanice War, who was also a Border Patrol agent and a Mormon herself, she described herself as Liza's best friend. She said that Paul had a horrible temper and he had, quote, this explosive personality. Shanice War was also the children's Sunday school teacher. Um, She said that he had a short fuse and he would yell and throw things at his wife. Um, Apparently, he would also rape his wife and he would beat his children. I did also find in one source, it stated that Liza possibly had autism or Asperger's, but I do not know how true that is. I did only find it in one source, so take that with a grain of salt. Paul Adams confided in Bishop John Herod during a confessional that he was molesting his own five-year-old daughter. John Herod contacted the Mormon Abuse Hotline, and on that hotline, he was advised not to go to officials because he would be at risk of possibly being sued for releasing confidential information. You see clergy, physicians, nurses, or anyone caring for a child who believes the child has been abused or neglected, 
they do have a legal obligation to report to police or State Department of Child Safety. However, it also says clergy who receive information about the neglect or sexual abuse during spiritual confessions, quote, may withhold, unquote, the info from authorities if the clergy determines it is, quote, reasonable and necessary. I don't know about you. I don't find any necessary reason to withhold that type of information. Um, How does that serve you spiritually to fail to protect a child from their father? Like, I did read in a few sources that he thought that it was a one-time event. Um, But even with that one-time event, like, come on. We got to do something. I know that the church does sometimes see things differently. Um, There was an affidavit that said, quote, if members had any concern that their disciplinary files could be read by a secular judge or attorney or be presented to a jury as evidence in a public trial, their willingness to confess and repent and for their souls to be saved would be seriously compromised. I am not here to bash religion because religion has saved me in the past from some really dark times in my life. But how is there even a possibility to save the soul of somebody this heinous and evil? That's just not something that I can stand behind. We're going to focus on saving the soul of somebody who intentionally hurts children, their own children, and not focus more on the innocent child. We're putting more importance on the abuser than on the abused. I don't know how that makes sense at all. Logically. spiritually, religiously, it doesn't make sense to me at all. And if you're wondering what the hell kind of hotline advises you not to go to the authorities, yeah, I'm going to tell you a little bit about that hotline. So that hotline was established in 1995 when legal claims of sex abuse against churches were on the rise. Before that hotline was established, bishops were to comply with local child sex abuse reporting laws. Um, But when that hotline was established, officials of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, they say that the helpline is staffed by social workers. These social workers destroy the records of all calls at the close of each day. And that is included in a sworn statement. So it is not just hearsay. Um, Calls are referred to attorneys with the Curtin McConkie Law Office in Salt Lake City. Um, All of the calls are protected by attorney-client privilege, which leaves no record accessible to victims' attorneys. Um, When this hotline was established, it was not established in the Department of Family Services. It was actually operated in the Office of 
risk manage management. So that should tell you something right there. I don't think it sounds like it's for the benefit of the children, but more for the benefit of protecting the church. In 1995, when the hotline was established, lawsuits were on the rise and they were awarding victims millions of dollars with the Mormon church being self-insured, it was especially vulnerable. And that is why this hotline was established in the first place. Now, although Paul Adam came forward and did tell his church bishop, John Herod, about the abuse that was occurring, he was not arrested until 2016 when a video was found in the phone of a 47-year-old farm worker who was arrested on child porn charges. Um, investigators used facial recognition technology and matched to a passport photo of the U.S. Border Patrol agent, Paul Adams. Um, and then he was arrested in Arizona at his border station. Um, there is a lot of details in this case, but I'm going to stop right here and save it for the next episode. Um, in the meantime, if you would like to get in contact and be able to share your CSA story, you can email me at chelseamark3191 at gmail.com. That's C-H-E-L-S-E-A-M-A-R-K 3191 at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at CSA underscore trauma tribe. If you feel more comfortable messaging on there, that is fine as well. Please share this podcast. Share it with anybody that you think it could possibly benefit. Share it with anybody you would like to share a message with. Keep in mind that if you do decide to share your story to be heard on this podcast, you can remain anonymous. You don't have to use your name. You don't have to use any names. You can change names. You can use the name anonymous. It's up to you. I just want you to feel relieved and to get that off of your chest. I know how relieving it is to finally be able to tell your truth and tell it raw with no limits. There are no limits here. You can say what you want. You can go as deep as you want. You know, it's up to you. You are the master of your own story. The second half of this episode, I will make sure to get it out within the next few days promise. So be on the lookout. Thank you for listening and I hope to see you next episode. You are my sunshine, my sunshine. You made me happy. If you or someone you know may be experiencing sexual assault, please contact 
the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 800-656-4673. Or you can chat online at online.rain.org. That's online.rain.org.